All right. Welcome, everyone. It's good to greet all of you who are worshiping with us in person. You might check the person next to you to see if they're breathing. And of course, all of you who are joining us online, and as always, we want to give an extra special greeting to the folks at our Church Anywhere microsite down on the old south side. I want to pause. Before we do anything else, I want to share something important with you because I need you to get something on your calendar. Uh, as you know, uh, for the past several years, we've been partnering with the Tim Tebow organization to host in this community a very special event called A Night to Shine or Night to Shine. It's a special needs prom. It's been a great, great success each year. It's been a great joy for everyone who's been a part of it. Last year, because of COVID, the, the Tebow organization decided that they would uh, just hold a digital prom. So we had a drive-through experience here at the church where people came and we gave them some things uh, to use in the celebration. They went home and they clicked on a link and they participated in the prom digitally. We just learned that that is going to be the same plan uh, by the Tebow organization for 2022. And so after a lot of prayerful thought and discussion, we decided to opt out of that digital event uh, in 2022 and provide our own in-person prom experience for those folks in our community that we've been serving for a long time. Honestly, we appreciate the Tim Tebow organization. We have only good things to say about them and uh, the way they've uh, been partners with us or allowed us to be partners with them over the last few years. But we just want to do something uh, in person that's a little different. So here's what I want you to do. I just need you to put this date down on your, your calendar somewhere because we're going to need a lot of volunteers like we do every year. It's February the 11th, 2022. And uh, this year, or next year rather, for this event. We're going to call it a big night out, just big night out. That's going to be the, the title for that evening. And so you're going to be hearing more about that event in weeks to come, but we're going to need a lot of volunteers. So get that date on your calendar. Don't schedule yourself or anything else on February the 11th, 2022. And when you get the opportunity, sign up to be a part of that. As we gather for worship this weekend, we're right in the middle of a message series called A Generous Life. Every November, we set aside time to talk about money in a very honest and uh, uh, straightforward way. Uh, and uh, that's what we've been doing. We began a couple of weeks ago by looking at a great passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7, that gives us a biblical understanding of what generosity looks like, or what generosity looks like from God's perspective. Uh, the Bible makes it clear that's the will of God for all of us to live generous lives, but we have to understand that there's a difference between what generosity looks like to the world and what generosity looks like to God, and that's what we were able to learn in that passage. Then last week we came together and we looked at another passage in 2 Corinthians, this time 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, and we talked about the power of a plan. Every year when we talk about money, I trot out these four, what I think of as four financial pillars from the book of Proverbs that can guide us in our personal financial lives. And the second one you see is plan ahead. It's keep track, plan ahead, save consistently, and give habitually. But the second one, and this is what we talked about last week, was that... Uh, that need or that importance of planning ahead when it comes to the way we manage whatever amount of money God has entrusted to us. And the message we had last week was called the power of a plan. Uh, I, I'm a firm believer, strong believer in the importance of handling whatever amount of money God gives you, whatever amount of money he entrusts you with a plan. And I'm also a strong believer in the truth that the simplest way to live a generous life is to handle whatever amount of money you have with a plan that includes generosity. 
And so that's what we talked about. The Bible celebrates the wisdom of planning in multiple different places. And my personal belief is that no one will ever be a good money manager. No one will ever be a good steward of the money God has entrusted to them until they manage it with a plan. Now, this week, my plan, speaking of plans, my plan was to talk to you about the importance of saving money. That's the third part of those uh, four financial principles of money management from Proverbs. Keep track, plan ahead, save consistently, and give habitually. And so I wrote a message called The Savings Key. And in that message, I began with what I think of as the greatest story of savings in all the Bible, maybe in all the world, and that's the story of Joseph when he was a slave in Egypt. Now, I'm sure that most of you know that story, but if you don't know that story, uh, I don't have time to talk to you about it, and so here's what you need to do. Just write down Genesis chapter 41 and go back and read that passage sometime after the service, and you'll learn about that story. And Joseph, uh, he demonstrated tremendous wisdom, life-saving wisdom uh, related to saving, the power of saving when he was in that position as a slave in Egypt. And he shared that with Pharaoh, and it ended up having a huge impact on the world. And then after talking about that story of saving, that great example of the power of savings, then I I wanted to share four things with with you from a biblical perspective. Number one, saving for the future is biblical. I believe that with all my heart. Number two, delaying savings is a mistake. It's a terrible mistake. Number three, we can honor God and serve others through our savings. And number four, I was going to talk to you about the truth that savings brings tension. It can bring tension into our lives. And what I mean by that is all of us, when it comes to saving money, have to ask ourselves the question, how much is enough? We have to ask ourselves the question, what am I putting my hope and my trust and my faith in, the amount of money that I've saved or the God who's provided it? And so it can bring some tension into our lives that we need to be ready for. But here's the deal. I'm not going to preach that message this weekend. It's a good message. It's relevant for all of us. But I don't want to preach that message this weekend, and I think maybe I'll just share it as a blog, and you can read the highlights of it sometime down the road. There have been a handful of times in my life as a pastor when I wrote a message as a part of a preaching plan only to wake up one day and feel like God had placed something completely different on my heart. And since... A big part of preaching for me is the overflow of what God is doing in me. I end up sharing that message that God has shared with me in hopes that it might minister to you in the same way that it ministered to me. And so that's what I'm going to do this weekend. All of our impact campuses are going to be preaching that message about savings, but I'm going to do something different with you this weekend. So before we do that, would you just bow with me for a moment for a prayer? Father in heaven, we love you deeply. We are so grateful for your love for us, a love that was so great that it sent your son Jesus to the cross to give his life and to die for us and to give us the opportunity to have our sin forgiven and live in a right relationship with you. And we want to know you deeply. We want to be connected to you deeply. We want every moment of every day to be lived in relationship with you where we speak to you And you speak to us through the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And so I pray that you'll take the next several minutes and you will minister to all of our hearts in a special way. And I pray that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. One night last week, I 
was talking to my wife, Sandy, and I just looked at her. I said, this has been a bad year. It's been a bad year. It's actually been a bad couple of years. I think we all know that. But I said that because I don't know about you, but when 2020 came to an end, I was hopeful about 2021. But while I can't speak for you, my, that hopefulness has not really played out on the level that I thought it might. It's not necessarily been my experience that 2021 has been a much better year. And there are different reasons for that. Some of them are personal, and so I'll keep those to myself. Some of them are relational. Throughout this past year, I have had some times when I have grieved the deaths of people who are really close to me, who made a significant impact on my life. Some of them died as a result of COVID. Some of them died for other causes. I've preached some heartbreaking funeral services this past year. I've been grieved, and I think this is magnified by my age, by the separation that following the call of Christ has created with my family, my friends, and all I mean by that is I've lived a long way away from what I think of as home for a long time, and I have missed people in my life, especially when they have struggled in their lives and as they've gotten older and faced different things in their lives. And I haven't been able to be there to be a part of that. This past year, I've grieved the loss of relationships I'm sure many of you could say the same thing that have ended because of the stress and the frustration and the disappointment caused by different events that have happened in our country and our world as well as the virus. And it's not ending. It's November of 2021, but it's not ending. At least it's not ending for me because I continue to deal with it at least on some level every single week. And I thought 2021 might bring an end to that reality but that's not been the case. It's just brought new levels of conflict. And I could go on, but I'll stop right there. And so I woke up one morning after I had that conversation with my wife and I sat down for my daily quiet time and I felt the unmistakable prodding of the Holy Spirit in my heart. You ever been there? You know exactly what I'm talking about. Felt the unmistakable prodding of the Holy Spirit to talk with you, not just about how I was feeling, but about how the Bible speaks to how I'm feeling. I'm not having doubts when it comes to matters of faith. I don't feel like God has let me down. Uh, it's nothing like that. But I'm battling some discouragement. Maybe I shouldn't say that. But I never want to stand up and be disingenuous with you in any way. And this may be a good thing because some of you may be, face, may be facing that same battle in your lives. And so we'll talk about it together. If you've got a Bible with you, then I would encourage you to take it and go with me to the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians and find chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry because I'm going to put our passage in all the relevant scriptures up on the screen. Over the past couple of years, I have purposely stayed away from lengthy sermon series because I wanted to give people who had not returned to in-person worship as many on-ramps to return as possible. I didn't want to be in the middle of a lengthy sermon series that would make somebody think, well, I don't want to go until that's over. I wanted people to come back to church in person as often as possible. 
Um, to be honest with you, I'm not sure whether that has really worked because there are so many people who still haven't returned to in-person worship. But I will tell you this, as I look back on the 2020 and the 2021 preaching calendar, I think everything that we have talked about and studied have been, has been really powerful and significant. Next year, I'm not going to limit my preaching calendar to shorter series, and I'm going to preach verse by verse through a Bible book like I usually do every year, which is something I haven't done since we finished our study of the Gospel of Matthew uh, in early 2020. But in the spirit of complete honesty, I will tell you something. As much as I enjoy preaching verse by verse through the Bible, and as much as I enjoy preaching verse by verse through a Bible book, which I do, I don't understand when someone views any other kind of preaching as inferior. We almost never have a weekend where the message that is shared, whether it's me or somebody else on our staff, we almost never have a weekend where the message that we share isn't based on a specific passage of Scripture that is exegeted. Now, that might be a new word to you, but the word exegeted basically means explained. In other words, it's the passage of Scripture that drives the message. It's not stories where you throw a Bible verse in every now and then. It's the understanding of the Scripture. And we don't just explain it, but we illustrate it and we apply it to life as well. It does happen sometimes because there are times when you talk about a specific topic that needs to be understood from the perspective of several passages of Scripture because it's not all covered in one specific place. That's really, to be honest, the way the message that I wrote on saving money was put together using several different selected passages of scriptures. And I'm not trying to criticize the belief of anyone or the feeling of anyone that verse by verse preaching through a Bible book is the best way to preach because everyone has a right to their own opinion. I'm just telling you, I don't understand it. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, all scripture, everyone say all scripture, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That means there is power in every single word of the Bible, every single word. And here's why I say that, all of that. Over the years... I've been a Christian for more than 50 years, and over the years, I have discovered that sometimes it's just a single word or a single phrase that is exactly what I have needed to correct my life. Just a single word or a single phrase. And that's something that happened to me this past week. And so if you've got your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and you're able, go ahead and stand with me for the reading of the Scripture. The specific part of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I guess I ought to get there in my Bible, that I want you to read with me is verses 16 through 18, the very end of the chapter. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask that God would bless the reading and the hearing of his word. If we take an honest look at those words, 
we see a very clear instruction on how to avoid discouragement, even though Paul doesn't use that word. Instead, instead he says right from the beginning in verse 16, therefore, we do not lose heart, which is a pretty good definition for discouragement, don't you think? And then he teaches us, or maybe reminds us for some, that no matter what's happening to us on the outside, on the inside where it matters, we're being renewed day by day, or in other words, no matter what's happening on the outside, we can always trust and believe that God is at work on the inside. No matter what's happening on the outside of our lives, God is always at work on the inside of our lives. Somebody say amen to that. And you know what? I think that was an especially important truth for the Apostle Paul. Because while he was not an old man when he wrote these words, If you take a look at his life, you have to come to the conclusion that ministry, what God had called him to do, was wearing him out. And it was wearing him out in multiple ways. First, it was wearing him out because of the pace he kept. I mean, for crying out loud, just read through the life of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts sometime and see if it doesn't wear you out just to read it. Second, it was wearing him out because uh, there was the physical abuse that he was receiving from his enemies. I'm talking about the attacks. I'm talking about the beatings. I'm talking about the imprisonment. All of those things that he endured multiple times in his life as a result of ministry. And third, it was wearing him out because of what can only be described as the abandonment and even betrayal of people that he believed that he thought were his companions and his friends. The bottom line was ministry was taking a toll on Paul's life. And so if you go back sometime after the service is over and you read all of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the first 15 verses leading up to our text, which is verses 16 through 18, you see that Paul desperately needed to remind himself of what he wrote in verses 16 and 17 when he said, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He needed to remind himself, and maybe you do as well, that What he was dealing with today is just temporary and no match for what God was doing inside of him and no match for the glory of what God had planned for him. I love those words. But as much as I love those words, verses 16 and 17, it's what Paul writes next that really speaks to my heart right now, especially in moments when you're battling the possibility of losing heart. He says again in verse 18, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And honestly, friends, it's not even that verse as a whole. It's just the first five words. And that's why I mean sometimes it's just a word. Or it's just a phrase that God uses in powerful ways in my life. The first five words, so we fix our eyes. You know, every time I read a blog or an article about preaching, and I do that 
quite often. Every time I hear someone talk about preaching, it's not uncommon for them to criticize preachers who cite the original language, the meaning of the original language as a part of their message. But here's my conviction. When it comes to the Bible, the meaning of words matters. And the meaning of words matters because the meaning of words impact how we understand what's being said. And so, in the original language of the New Testament, the literal reading of those five words in my English Bible, so we fix our eyes, is while we look. While we look. And here's why I believe it's important to understand that. Because that teaches us that our ability, yours and mine, our ability to endure the reality of discouragement or losing heart is based on our commitment to constantly and continually look, to use Paul's words, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, and what is uns- but what is unseen, rather, is eternal. Think of it like this. When you understand that's the meaning of the words, why we, while we look, there is a conditional force at work in those words. And here's the conditional force. Our ability to not lose heart, to not give in to discouragement, is conditional upon our willingness to constantly and continually look not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And that word temporary is an interesting word also. Maybe not interesting, but important. In the original language of the New Testament, it's a word that means Anything associated with time. In other words, anything that begins and ends with time, anything that begins and ends in time, anything that perishes. And so Paul says the best way to not lose heart, the best way to not give in to discouragement is to make sure we are constantly looking at those things that are eternal. Constantly. And so one of the meanings we get from that is the truth that when we do feel ourselves losing heart, when we do feel ourselves giving in to discouragement, it's, there's a good chance it's because we're looking at the wrong things. So if we need to continually and constantly look at things that are eternal, the obvious question is, what are those things that are eternal? Let me give you three. I'm not saying there are only three, but let me give you three. There's not a lot, but let me just give you three. And the first one is going to be pretty dramatic, pretty shocking. If you're taking notes, write down next to number one, God. That sounds like the ultimate Sunday school answer, doesn't it? But think about something with me. You might want to write this down because I'm telling you what I'm about to say is really good. In the Christian life, when your first answer to every problem you face is God, you've got a 100% chance of getting it right every time. Somebody say amen to that. How profound is that? And the reason why is because God becomes the lens that allows us to see whatever it is that's in front of us with a new, or maybe I should say with a renewed perspective and clarity. Let me give you an example. 
You don't have to turn there. But in the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter is, the most, is one of the most famous chapters in all the Bible. Not just the New Testament, in all the Bible, the 11th chapter of Hebrews, because it's often referred to as a list of God's hall of fame of faith. And the, uh, it's, it's, it's story after story of people of old who lived by faith. In fact, those two words, by faith, are the words you find over and over again in Hebrews chapter 11. Listen, or look, as I read a portion of what Hebrews 11 says about Moses, who certainly deserves to be in God's hall of fame of faith. This is Hebrews 11, verses 24 through 27. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Now, real quick, let me give you an Old Testament history lesson. There were two times when Moses left Egypt. The first time, he did leave out of fear of the king's anger because do you remember what he had done? He had murdered an Egyptian. Do you remember that story? He, he knew because he was raised by a handmaiden who was a Hebrew. He knew that he was a Hebrew. He knew that he was out of place because he wasn't an Egyptian, even though he was being raised in the palace of Pharaoh. And one day he saw an Egyptian mistreating a Hebrew man, and in anger he murdered the Egyptian. And he left Egypt the first time out of fear of the king's anger. So that can't be what the Hebrew writer is talking about in this particular passage. The second time Moses left Egypt, he led the Israelites out of slavery as God's great deliverer. But he didn't fear the king's anger the second time. And the reason why was because when he left Egypt the second time, his eyes were not on the king or on Pharaoh. His eyes were on him who is invisible. In other words, his eyes were fixed on God. His eyes were fixed on God. He wasn't looking at what was seen and temporary. He was looking at what was unseen and eternal. And that's what happens when we fix our eyes on God because God is eternal. We fix our eyes on God, we're trusting in his sovereignty. We're trusting in his plan as the eternal God. And this isn't the only place in the scriptures where we're given this instruction. In fact, you can just turn, you can probably in your Bible, I don't know how it's laid out in your Bible, but you could probably, if you were looking in Hebrews chapter 11, you could just turn the page to Hebrews chapter 12. And this is the very second verse you would read in Hebrews chapter 12. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. God the Son. Jesus who was God in human flesh. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's the bottom line. When you feel like you're losing heart, for whatever reason, you're becoming discouraged, the first thing you have to do is you've got to find a way to push the pause button and put your focus on God and God alone. Remembering that because he is sovereign and because he is eternal, you can trust him no matter what you're facing today. You can trust that he is working inside of you and he is working ahead of you with a perfect plan. You've just got to keep your eyes on him and trust him. Let me give you a second thing that's eternal. How about this? The people you serve 
We're called as believers to serve one another. We're called as believers to serve other people. I'm called as a pastor to serve people. And the people we serve have an eternal nature about them. One of the most unmistakable truths of the Scripture is that our souls are eternal. When Jesus told the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew chapter 25, he talked about a time when the Son of Man, Jesus, will come and separate people like a, sheep, a shepherd separates sheep and goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and he'll put the goats on his left. And then at the end of the parable, this is what he says in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 46. You can see it on the screen. Then they will go away to eternal punishment. That's the goats on his left. But the righteous to eternal life, that's the sheep on his right. And in the original language of the New Testament, because the meaning of words matters, the same Greek word is used for punishment and for life. And you know what that teaches us? That teaches us that both the saved and the unsaved have an eternal soul. There's an eternal element to every one of us. To every person that you lock eyes with in your life, people have an eternal soul. You go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and you kind of get a feel for everything that Paul is experiencing that leads up to the passage that we're looking at at the end of the chapter. This is how 2 Corinthians chapter 4 begins. This is verse 1. Paul writes and says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart, or in other words, we do not become discouraged, because we have this ministry. What's he talking about with the word ministry? I can tell you what he's not talking about. He's not talking about ministry in the sense of an organization. He's talking about ministry to people all of whom have an eternal soul. And that's what we need to focus on, which seems a little odd because how many of you know that people can be one of our greatest sources of discouragement? And yet he's telling us to focus on things that are eternal. And in the mix of the limited things in this universe that are eternal, we find people because we all have an eternal soul. And please know when I say that people can be one of the greatest sources of discouragement, I'm going to put myself at the top of the list because I know I can discourage other people. But that creates a little bit of a unique dilemma for someone like me as a pastor of a church because the church is people, right? I remember reading one time, you know you are a pastor if your greatest joys and your greatest disappointments have come at church. <laughs> and I'm telling you from experience, there's some truth to that. But I love the church. I always have, always have. My whole life, I always have. I love this church. This past week, we had an elders meeting, and in every elders meeting, we have a time that we have something we put in our agenda that we just call focused prayer. And one of the different elders will, will be in charge of the focused prayer each month, and they bring something uh, that's specific for us to pray about. Oftentimes, it will, have to, it will have to do with the church itself, but sometimes it can just be about things in the world or, or personal spiritual things. Uh, and this last month, this last week, when we had our focused prayer time, the focus prayer was about things that you're thankful for. It was real simple. November is a month of Thanksgiving. 
And I, 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 when it came to, to my time to pray, and while I'm so thankful for so many things, I, I, I prayed a prayer of thanksgiving for the church. And I thank God for the little church that I grew up in. And I thank God for the church that, that I was able to plant when I was so young in the church that I served in Oklahoma before I came here, and I thank God for this church. I love the church. I love the church because I know with all of her imperfections, she is the instrument of God, the instrument that God uses to change the world with all of our faults and flaws. It's the church that God uses to change the world. Please say amen to that because we need to understand that together. We absolutely have to understand that together. In the book... Skin in the Game, a man named Rick Lawrence writes about how another man, a pastor and author named Earl Palmer, responded to a a man who was just going on and on and on with criticism against the church, one thing after another. Criticism uh, for all the failures and all the shortcomings and all the faults and all the flaws of the local church. The church sometimes is an easy target for people who are unhappy and disillusioned in life. And, and here's, here's one of the ways that Palmer responded. I think it's fascinating. He said to the man that when his local high school orchestra attempts Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, he said, quite honestly, the result is appalling. He said, I wouldn't be surprised if the performance made Beethoven roll over in his grave despite the fact that Beethoven was deaf. <laughs> and then he went on, And he said, you might ask, why bother? Why inflict on those poor kids the terrible burden of trying to render what the immortal Beethoven had in mind? Not even the the great Chicago Symphony Orchestra can attain that perfection. And then he said, my answer is this. That local high school orchestra will give some people in that audience their only encounter with Beethoven's great Ninth Symphony. Far from perfection, it is nevertheless the only way they will ever hear Beethoven's message. What's he saying, friends? He's saying the only way a starving, thirsty, deluded, and suffering, broken world will ever hear the music of the gospel is through the body of Christ, the church, which is arguably the worst high school orchestra ever to appear on stage. Why? Because we're just a bunch of broken people, right? Just a bunch of imperfect, flawed, sinful, broken people. But I can't tell you, friends... Honestly, how many times as a pastor my heart has been deeply moved when it's become clear to me that someone's encounter with the church, the imperfect church, was their only chance and their only hope for experiencing the reality of God's love and the message of Jesus' redemption. And I don't ever want to forget that. None of us can ever forget that. And so we can't forget the fact that as as people serving people, we 
deal in matters of eternity because everyone has a soul. And that's what we keep our focus on. No matter how many times, maybe the very same people will let us down or disappoint us. Our focus is on the eternal nature of their life and the truth that they will one day, like all of us, spend eternity in heaven or in hell. And so we keep our eyes on eternal souls. And then the third thing, very quickly. The third thing that's eternal that I have written down in my notes is what God is doing in your life. I need to keep my eyes on what God is doing in my life, not outside of my life, but in my life. I love the words that Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 when he said, and this is just the end part of a long sentence, and so the beginning seems a little bit odd, but he writes, and he says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I want to ask you a really pointed question, really important. Don't answer out loud. Can you look back on the person you used to be and see how God has been at work making you into the person you are today. Can you do that? I hope that we can all say yes to that question because that's what God wants us to understand, that he's working in our lives. And if it's not happening in your life, then let me tell you something. You've got something pretty significant wrong when it comes to your spiritual life. A little bit earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, as a part of this overall chapter, Paul wrote these words. This is verses 7 through 9. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And then listen to what he says next. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. What does that mean? Well, it means our lives are like jars of clay in that our lives are common. And our lives are fragile. And our lives are temporary. At least in this world. And yet the power and the presence of God inside of us overcomes and overwhelms all of that temporary reality. All of that weak and cheap reality of our lives to accomplish incredible things. And that's the reason why we're not crushed in life. That's the reason why we aren't overwhelmed by despair in life. That's the reason why we never feel abandoned in life. Not really. That's the reason why we're never destroyed in life. No matter what happens, all because of the work that God does in us. In us. A work that if we go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17 that is achieving for us an eternal glory. So on the most practical level, when discouragement creeps into our lives, when we, be, we feel ourselves beginning to lose heart, and we're tempted to wave the white flag and just give up or walk away or whatever it might look like, probably the best thing that any of us can do is to look back and see all that God has done or be reminded of all that God has done that has brought us from where we were to where we are today. And if you do that, you won't lose hope. So I need to close. I'm a little bit over time. And I'm going to close in a very simple way. 
I've written a very simple prayer that we'll put up on the screen. I'm just going to ask you to read it with me. You don't have to. You're not forced to participate in any way. But if you're willing, just to read it with me. We'll read it together as a personal prayer, and we'll close our service. If you're willing, let me hear your voices. Dear God, I love you, and I thank you for the work you have done and are continuing to do in my life. Please help me to constantly and continually fix my eyes on eternity. Help me to see the trials and challenges of life through the lens of your eternal nature. Help me to see the eternal need of every person I encounter, and help me to see the eternal work you are doing in my life. Give me an eternal focus that guards my life and keeps me following you all the days. We're going to have the team come and lead us in one last song before we're dismissed.